Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you very much for the invitation. And my name is Bernd, I'm a sexaholic, and I'm sexually sober, not from 2011. I'm sober since December 31, 2012. For that, I cannot be thankful enough because I know that it is not coming for myself. I want to tell you a few details from my former life. In my family, my father suffered from alcoholism. My father and my mother suffered from sexolism and workolism. My grandpa from my mother's side suffered from alcoholism. My father died from his alcoholism, and my younger brother became a drug addict in the age of 18. And even he could stop using drugs and build a beautiful family with two great kids. He infected in this time with hepatitis C, get never cured and died a few years ago. I also had an older brother who was a half brother. And because he had another father, but nobody told me until I was 20 years old. My parents divorced as I was three years old, and my mother found another man who was also an alcoholic. And so I couldn't go on and on. Nobody in my family appears ever on a 12-step group. What I really remember that I often felt alone. And my spouse spoke to me and introduced adult children of alcoholics to me, and I felt very home there because of all the female members. And because I could feed my need to feel as a victim. At this time, I was in the age of 48. I was not able to see that I was a perpetrator. Even knowing that I was doing wrong, I couldn't see it. I didn't remember exactly my beginning of being a sexaholic. I remember being in my father's house in the age of around 12 or 13 when he offers me to make a walk to the Reeperbahn in Hamburg, where he lived. For those of you who never had the chance to be in Hamburg, there's an area in the middle of the city where you can find and buy all kinds of sex. So he went with me to a parking house, but instead of cars, you find there are lots of women, nearly untwist. And he went on to show me all these places and offers me if I want to have a woman, he will spend some money. I was ashamed. But it's also attracted at the same time. But at this time, I had no idea about sexual life. In the age of 14, my soccer trainer invited me into a cinema and starts touching my genitals. I was shocked also about myself that I didn't, didn't was able to say stop. In the age of 15, I saw a picture in a sex magazine, which belongs to my mother where a woman touches the genitals of a man. He was just laying on his back. 
this picture had a really great impact on me. I could draw an image of this picture today, so strong is it in my head. And I would say that with all this history since then, I was really looking for a woman who used me sexually so that I will be a victim. I didn't want to be the perpetrator. I was drinking these pictures to experience again and again to relieve my acting out. I did that from that point on at every opportunity I found. This picture changed the way I feel and the way I saw a woman. Also, I didn't realize this at this time. Today, I can see how much I already start to find a woman which I could use or she could use me as an object to act out with her. I had no idea of a healthy relationship or of intimacy, but I pretend that I did. I became a woman pleaser only for one reason, that I finally could use her for my images of getting my drink of lust. My life went on very traumatic. Like I came together with a woman. I was sure she is the right one. After a while we had sex, I lost interest and I saw another woman, which became the real one. Until we had sex, even sometimes for weeks or months, then I lost interest. I saw and find another woman. Same, same, but different. I came always to the point that I was disappointed and I looked and found another woman. But most important was that I was the victim. I really was thinking that no woman understands me. I didn't got what I expect, etc. So she was wrong or something else. That went on and on until I met my wife. I was 33 years old at this time. And I thought and wanted to change everything. More or less, it worked for a while because I really wanted to live with her. I tried my best not to act out with other women. But as you can imagine, it did work out on a longer one. So little by little, I started living a double life. And every time my wife asked me if something was wrong, for example, she saw me flirting, or I said that the woman was looking towards me, or a woman wanted to hug me, or a woman gave her hand to me, etc., etc. I answered always in a way to make her feel that everything was okay, that I was overtired, working too much, etc. Remember, I was not me. It was not me because I am victim. Even though I knew that it was not okay, I kept doing it. And then I started to have an affair, get special massages, went on with masturbation. I never get enough. I went to confessions, decided to stop and failed again and again. Same, same, but different. I still thought that I was actually a good husband, but the circumstances and, of course, my childhood or the way my wife talked to me, all her questions, etc. that and only that made me acting in this way. But as I already said, I was having the crazy idea that I am basically a good husband. I wanted to remain the victim. That would still go on and on, but it stopped with just one telephone call. A former affair called 
my wife and told her everything. So that the house of cards collapsed. That was the zero hour in my life. Again, I was a victim. And still at these moments, I tried everything to come out of this situation. We did therapy. I did therapy. She did therapy. I made amends. I swore I wouldn't do it again and still believed that I was actually a good husband and a good man. But at the end, I really was not honest. So it worked for a few weeks or months. My wife, yeah, my wife gave me then a white book and I was outraged. I knew what an addict is. I saw it in my family. But me, an addict, no, never. I did not read the book. Instead, after a while, I started to meet a woman in secret again. My wife noticed that at this time I was denying and lying, and she asked me to move out of the house. Now, finally, I realized that I needed help and finally visited my first meeting. I came to SA in the age of 51. Is that being accountable? As you can see, I have behaved far away from being accountable. And when I joined SA, participated in my first meeting in Munich, I was still far away from it to start being accountable for my own life. Today, I believe that I did everything that I could to live my life similar to my previous pattern. I guess I still wanted to continue as I did in the past at the time I started to join SA. For example, with our therapist, I agreed to sign over our apartment to my wife. I would like to admit that I did this in order not to continue to deal with my wife asking me questions to this topic. I wanted to buy me free. I give you the apartment and you don't ask questions anymore. I guess that I attended to the meetings at the beginning to show my wife that I'm serious and to pressure her. I did not understand that I had to start changing me or even better to allow God to change me. After the first meetings, I was disillusioned. There were about 10 men in the group and except of one, nearly no one who had a long period of sobriety. I also tried out telephone meetings, found a sponsor there, but who himself had not worked the steps what at this time was very common in some parts of Germany. He had a relapse after a short time, and so I stood alone again as a victim. So I asked the one who had been sober for many years in our meeting. He says yes. But after a few months, I realized that he wanted to work me in a therapeutic way. But I was clear I wanted to work the steps. I told him, and he told me that I need another sponsor. Then Harvey Escher came to Munich. He gave a workshop over a weekend. And the first time I realized that I'm not a bad person, but I'm a sick person. And that there's no reason to act out for me whatsoever happened in my life. This was really a beginning of a turning point, of my turning point. A few months later, I listened and spoke with Luke when he was speaking at a German-speaking convention. He also had something that I wanted to have, the willingness to give up, the willingness to give up my former life, to take responsibility for himself. In his case, he went to Nashville for a period of time to work the steps.
steps, this was a new perspective for me. Instead, as I heard it over and over again in our fellowship to attend in a clinic, I would rather travel to Nashville. Harvey and Nancy invited me, staying at their place. Tim H. offered me to work the steps with me. One thing lead to another. God did for me what I could not do for myself and by myself alone. I flew to Nashville, had a sponsor who takes time for me from morning to night, led me through the steps, and Harvey taught me to be humble and to take responsibility. It's not them. It's not them. It's not them. Harvey teached and trained me the importance of this sentence. This was really the hardest lesson I had to learn in my life. And which I just for day, for today, day by day, still learning and pass it on. And how's day? What if I could go to a meeting where sleeping is not the rule, where people are walking and talking in absolute honesty, where focus is not self-centered? In reading the last sentence of step 12, to practice these principles in all our affairs, how can I truly verify where I stand today? Before starting my recovery, my life was mainly about me and how I get what I desired or need. Or how do I can become successful or that I believe to know right things? These were my principles in all my affairs in my former life. Of course, I meet these old patterns and parts also today again and again. I meet these monsters. It is impossible for me only through myself to do it alone. Because myself is the source of this false life. So myself cannot be the source of my solution from the problem which is myself. The biggest challenge today that I have to do every day is to make a decision to surrender my will and my life to the will of God. Day by day, for 24 hours, I surrender my life to the will of God. Is this possible? As it is told in the big book, God is going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is the father and we are his children. This concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we passed to freedom. And it went on saying, when we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had the new employer being all powerful. For he provided what we need if we kept close to him and performed his work well. More and more we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. We were reborn. I'm on the way, sometimes better, sometimes worse. When I receive introduction and follow agreements, whether in my marriage whether in my service committee, whether in my work, or in many small everyday things. Therefore, did the things that I should do because I was instructed to do this, I was able to experience things which were unimaginable before for me. My definition of success is changing. I'm in agreement doing what I believe is right where I'm placed, what is my task, and 
do I fulfill it so well as possible? I know I hurt a lot of people with my egoism, people who were defenseless because they trust me and I have not treated them as they deserve it. This was not God's will. I see the results today, these injuries in my wife, even if I cannot feel it like she feels. I'm learning that I can ask God what I can do to do the right thing, things that nobody notices, but which still have an effect. There are people in the program who did some small things to save their own lives. This is how the program was created. And if I only manage a small part of it, then I would like to continue with it day by day. Thanks for letting me share here and to listen for me. Thank you. This is uh, Randall, psychologist in DC. Go ahead, um, Randall. Yeah, thank you. Sorry for the background noise. That's the music of DC. Um, I just uh, wanted to share that uh, I was in a cloud and a fog this morning, and as soon as you started uh, giving your testimony, and throughout the fog lifted and everything became crystal clear for me. Uh, mentally. So I, I really appreciate that. I know it's my uh, disease that causes uh, me to to uh, get like that. I just have one question. Um, I'm having a struggle with my wife who won't uh, speak to me. So do you have any advice for me on how I can approach her? After all these years, it's been, oh gosh, uh, more than 10 years. And I'll listen. Thank you. I didn't get the question. I think what he's asking is uh, his wife will not speak to him. I mean, what? Uh, maybe you have some experience there, your personal experience of how that's worked for you. Thank you. <clears throat> okay. Thank you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, my wife wanted a long time not talk to me. <laughs> She needed to see uh, that I change, that I really change, you know, not changing just by words, but by doing and to serve. And so even today I needed to serve uh, in a way as asking what I can do for her. And but only if I really am ready to, to do things. And so we, we, we also went to a, a couple program, a 12-step program, which helped a lot uh, to work the steps there. And that's all what I have to this. Thank you. Thanks, Randall and Bernd. And I saw River, you had your little blue virtual hand up. Did you still want to, to share? Yes, thank you. Uh, this is River Sexaholic. Thanks, Bernd, for your share. It's good to see you. Um, let's see. I uh, really keyed in on the... Um, uh, the way the images get frozen in my mind and how I can still recall images from childhood um, that are in that Rolodex in my brain. Um, and uh, on the subject of accountability last week, I, I shared with the group that I was um, binge watching um, a series on a moving picture series that I should 
you know, that I wanted to surrender. Um, and uh, I have, thank you, God, with the help of the program. And, um, but I still have some of the images, uh, you know, that I collected from watching the gosh darn thing, you know, and I regret now having done it. Um, but I get to be sober today. No one in my family um, has found recovery either. And it's a family of addicts. So I am just grateful to be here, be sober today with all of you people. I'll pass. Ben, I'm Daniel, a sexaholic in Barcelona. And uh, a couple of things, I took notes while you were talking. A couple of things stood out for me. The family secrets thing. You know, I thought I came from a reasonably decent family. in our case, you know, there wasn't a lot of uh, rage or alcoholism or anything like that. But lo and behold, just in the past 10 years, I've learned that my brother has a son. So I have a nephew. And I first learned about that when this nephew was 18 years old. I found out that I have an uncle who had two children by two different women. And I just found that out uh, just a couple of years ago. And they would be my cousins. And they're in their fifties, <laughs> you know, so that's like a 50 year secret. So it's amazing how many little skeletons we had in our closet because appearance was appearances in our family were what was important. So I really appreciate you bringing that, that aspect of it and reminding me about that. And then the other thing was the double life. <sighs> You know, I always felt like I was a good husband, like you said. I always felt like I was a good guy, a good husband. And, uh, you know, here I was lying to my wife and gaslighting her and doing these terrible things. So I was living this double life and it was tearing me apart. So it thankfully, um, you know, Harvey said that thing that, that, that you quoted, that I'm not a bad person. I'm just a sick person getting well. So that... I'm glad you reminded me of that as well. So thank you, Bert. I appreciate all that. Thank you, Daniel. Nancy. Yeah, hi, I'm Nancy. I'm a sexaholic. I absolutely love this meeting. And thank you, Bert, so much for sharing. Um, I love hearing stories from folks all over the world. I mean, I remember, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, that they formed, the GDA formed an international committee thinking maybe, you know, we need to reach out internationally. <laughs> and it's it's wonderful to see folks from all over the place. I definitely can relate to the secrets. Absolutely. Um, my father, my, there's addicts throughout the whole family. Uh, there's very few that aren't actually. Um, we've got, and nobody else is in recovery. Um, and we've got uh, sexaholism throughout the family. I remember, well, no, I take that back. My brother is. I remember one time my mom asked me, um, how come two out of our three kids are sexaholics? And I just kind of stayed quiet. And um, that was the only time that question was ever asked. <laughs> My sister, there's three of us. Her husband is a sexaholic, and she's what I would call a flaming, raging, out of control Essanon. Um, but sex, you know, it is a disease. There's nothing wrong with being a sexaholic. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And I see the time, and um, I'll pass with that. Thank you so much for sharing. 
Buddy would like to share. You're on mute, Daniel. Yeah. You're on mute. Daniel, you're muted. Let's get Buddy after Moeen. I see his hand was up earlier, and then we'll get you, Buddy. Okay. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for your share. Uh, really appreciate for your services, everybody. Um, just, just wanted to have some experience on on a problem that I am dealing with today and these days. And the, my question is that: How do you uh, put some boundaries with with colleagues or coworkers? Who are are sometimes uh, used um, um, badly speaking attitudes or um, some uh, sometimes say some some sexual things in a fun way in work situations and you can't you can't do anything for that for that. How do you put some boundaries to not to be engaged in, in lust or in um, um, somehow, sexual language in with your coworkers and colleagues or friends who are maybe sexaholics or not, or they don't know even that you you are a sexaholic or you are a member of SA. Thank you. Thank you. It's a question to me. Yes, Bert. Did you did you get it all? Yeah, I get it, and. I, I, for myself, buddy, you, you, Mike. Okay, thank you. Um, I, for myself, I would always say I don't want uh, to hear this. I don't want to see pictures or something like this. And I put it mostly in a way that I, my spirituality is in a way that I'm, it, I, I'm, I don't uh, want to touch this. In, in this way, when I work with people where I don't be able to share about my addiction or so. That's that's how I deal with it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, buddy. Hey, this is Buddy. Hey, Byrne. We, uh, we last met in uh, St. Louis, I believe. We uh, had some breakfast together. The um, <clears throat> the secrets, the family secrets. I had the COVID. I told everybody. I put it on Facebook. I put my picture on the Zoom. COVID, been there, done that. My sister's husband had the COVID, was in the hospital nine days, nearly dies. She don't tell me about it. <laughs> Family secrets. <laughs> I love it. So uh, I just wanted to say hi, because when I was a kid growing up, I was not allowed to talk. And now I'm allowed to talk. And since nobody else was talking, I thought I'd talk. <laughs> so that's all. Thanks for sharing today, Bern. Thanks, buddy. Thank Lee, I see your hand up. Yes, I'm Lee, and I'm a real sexaholic. Um, I 
video is blocked because my sound freezes if I don't. Um, and uh, it is amazing to me how many human beings Harvey Asher has affected in his life. Um, he and I met in 1986, and uh, he became my first sponsor. And for years, we learned all this stuff together. And then he took his lessons out throughout the world and did a better job than I did of carrying the message. Uh, so, uh, you know, this whole thing about being sick, uh, not being bad, but being sick, getting well, uh, I, I phrase that it's a disease and not a disgrace. Uh, it's my, it's just my way of thinking about it. Uh, and, um, I always felt that I was helpless. Uh, I learned that I was not hopeless and that allowed me to take some actions. So, uh, getting around, uh, to what I was saying, uh, Bernd, could you tell us a little more about the transition from becoming a victim uh, of something to how the how feeling empowered developed out of that? Because that is something that is very important, I think, for all of us, is how do we make the transition from being helpless and then find out we're not hopeless and getting the feeling of empowerment from recovery? That's all. Thank you, Lee. Uh, for, for me, I, I would say it, it was the sentence, it's not them, and I, I had really difficulty to to understand the sentence in a right way. I, I had night talk with, with Harvey. He was sitting in his kitchen and, and because for example, I was at this in the service position and there was one guy was doing a really in another service position. He did some strong things and I was stopping him. And then he was screaming at me and writing me long letters, what I did wrong and so on. I, I tried to find out what I can do. And then, for example, it was very easy, basically, that to understand that he did the best he can do. And if I just think in this way, I'm out of this reaction. I don't have to, to think about what I have to do or not to do. And I guess the most important thing for me is was becoming really honest i mean honest in a honest way <laughs> not not fooling around myself and and other people anymore and and if if i'm honest i can see that i'm I, there's nothing i i need to hide everything god is taking over if i'm honest god takes over if i'm not honest i want to manage the show that is very simple that's what i have to say Thank you. Thanks, Lee and Bert. Hi, this is Luke. And, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, I saw a hand. We'll get you a second, Luke. Uh, Andreas? 
Look, it is okay for me if you if you start. No, it's okay. Go ahead, but but I cannot raise my hands. Um, so, but please go ahead, Andreas. Thank you, Luke. Mm. Yeah, thank you, Bernd, uh, for sharing that. Uh, it's most often the opposite way. I share it with you because you're my sponsor. So it was uh, very interesting for me hearing all the news, the old news of your life. Thank you very much. And there are so many similarities that must be. Um, yeah, that's not coincidence that uh, that you're my sponsor. But uh, I guess the stories in this program are very often pretty similar. Um, I have a, a brother. I found out, they told me when I was 16. So, and uh, in 2004, when, uh, when I was 36 years old, um, because of a th uh, the uh, of a therapy the therapist told me maybe it would be interesting to find my brother <laughs> and i did and so my my father who is a, a sober alcoholic since 1983 he was around 50 when he stopped he 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 learned his, he he met his son the first time because of my investigation and find out where he is living and they met that was uh, such a crazy thing in our family. And um, since then, I know I have a brother. There's only one thing. Um, and uh, something about myself, I, I met the program in 1983 when I was 15 years old. That was my father taking me with him. Thank you. I saw that time, yeah, to the Alateen program. And it still needed to 19 to 2012 <laughs> to really stop and it changed when i had a sponsor and where it were okay for me to work with a sponsor and be honest thank you thank you andreas uh luke you are up next okay <clears throat> uh, my apologies again for interrupting andreas um Selfish as I am, I didn't see the, the raised hand. Um, yeah, thank you very much, Bernd, for your share. I was on the phone before listening in. Um, yeah, first of all, the family secrets, I can relate a lot to it. My father had five, uh, four, no, three brothers and two sisters. And one of them lived at one kilometer, which is like three quarters of a mile from our house. And I didn't even know. Until I was like six, seven years old, I found out that that was one of his brothers. I think I only saw him five times in my life. And then there was another brother, <clears throat> which I only saw once in my life, living like 30 kilometers from, from our place. <clears throat> so they got into a fight in 1968 because of money when their parents died. And they, they are all dead now, except of my father. So the five others died and they never made up. They never solved it. So the lawyers every year came together and they filled their pockets. So family secrets. Yeah. Another thing is about transparency. You said something about real honesty and transparency. I think I'm only learning now little bit by little bit, one step forward, two steps back to be honest and to be more and more honest with my daily check-in partner to really tell him whatever craziness goes on in my head or whatever lust 
Yeah, thank you, Francis. Whatever lust in whatever way lust is there or whatever faults there are, even cruel faults about my wife dying or whatever stuff. Um, so thanks a lot. Thank you, Luke. And I see Akiva, you have your little blue virtual hand up. Go ahead. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. Akiva <clears throat> uh, Sexaholic. I am uh, grateful to be part of this meeting, and uh, my sponsor suggested to check out this meeting, and I've been on and off, and so far this has been the closest to the home group that I've had in about a year, since the groups in Philadelphia are not really functioning, um, and that is important to me. <clears throat> and really, I always appreciate this group being focused on a long-term sobriety speakers because um, I I am more than one day sober, thank God. And it's always, you know, how do you stay sober? You know, get sober is one thing. How do you stay sober throughout all things? And for me, this honesty, it was the key of getting sober and staying sober. For me, when my wife wasn't feeling well and she asked to sleep in today and then I snapped at the kids for me not to keep it a secret or tell like you better not tell mom or you know like that that's that's how I grew up you better not tell him whatever happens here you know the russian expression was when i was growing up i grew up in ukraine the russian expression was you don't take garbage out of the hut you know this is this is ours this is ours this is what it is it's like it's nobody else's business so I appreciate that fact and I, I am able to go to my sponsor, share it. I'm able to call other people, share it and work through it instead of stuffing it down because discomfort of, of stuffing it down and eventually having to deal with it in a, in a non-healthy way, that's what makes me act out. Thank you. Thank you, Akiva. At this point, we can open it up to, to anyone to share, even if uh, uh, for, for folks less than 30 days, feel free to, to share. Uh, you don't necessarily need to ask a question of Bernd, but you can. Or you can just share whatever is your top plate, your, your, if you just want to get up to date with, with folks. Bring something into the light, the floor is open. Yeah, listening to what you said, uh, or to what Luke said, um, in Germany, there's a, a sentence which says, you can only see yourself through the eyes of someone seeing you or knowing you. And, and this is very important for me to, in the program, through a sponsor, through my sponsees, through meetings, through um, check-in partners, through, and through my wife, they show me if how I am real. I am real, you know, that, that I can have an image. And like I said, I'm a good husband or so. I can have the idea I'm a good man. I'm a good, I'm good at any point. But in, in meeting other people and, and say what they, how they react to me, I can see if I'm really good, uh, if I'm really um, accountable or something else. So that is, so I'm really happy to found or, yeah, that I found this uh, SA and that I was able to see myself with different eyes. Thank you. 
Yeah, thanks, Bern. Floor is still open. We have, we still have probably ten minutes left for several shares for anyone. Uh, hello, Denise here. Go ahead, Denise. Hi, hi, uh, hi Bernd. Lovely to hear your story. It was very powerful, um, and I've met you a good few times, so it's really nice to see you uh, there. Um, yeah, and I was just uh, struck by the the honesty and the accountability um, and how important that is. And also the family secret. Um, I found out a big family secret two years ago. So 48 years of age, I discovered my father wasn't my father. So um, you can imagine <laughs> how shocking. I mean, I'm laughing, but I'm in therapy now, you know. <laughs> Um, and I never, ever would have imagined, you know, never, ever would have imagined. So it seems to be a kind of a recurring thing. Um, and that victim mode, I have to be careful that I don't sort of blame all of my issues on that one thing. You know, I would have been an addict whether that happened or not, you know, um, and that feeling of loneliness and difficulty and all of those different things. Um, but definitely they did impact on me. You know, there are things that these secrets impact on, on people I think about well, my own experience that I have behaviors that I don't know why I have them I have anger triggers I have fear triggers and have no idea well I had no idea where they were coming from you know and low self-esteem and you know feeling that when I come into it's like that feeling when you come into a room and everyone's quiet all of a sudden that was the feeling I felt in my family you know there was something unsaid um, so it's great to have the awareness and tools of the program, you know, to be able to work through that. And it's really important. And I have a very good AA sponsor who says to me, you know, we all feel like that, Denise. You know, when I go into the self-pity, the victim, why do they say that to me? Why do they, you know, you know, and we have I have to take responsibility for my own motives, you know, my own resentments, my own fears. And my fears are my own, you know. Um, thank you. I couldn't see. I'm on a phone, so I can't see the time. Thanks, Daniel. And so it was lovely to hear you, Werner. Thank you very much. And happy Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays. Thank you, Denise. Hi, my name is Hamed. I'm six from, from Iran. Hello, Hamed. Thank you, Baron, for your share. That was really amazing, and I liked it. And but it reminded me about the family secrets was something interesting. I remember we had our own kind of family secret. And that was uh, when I was a child in our family and many other families in our culture, uh, they never talked about the sexual things, even things that we need to know in that time. And it seems they, they act as if nothing really happening between man and woman and for a long time i didn't know anything about that and finally because of uh, pe other people because of being able to abuse me they just told me what is really happening between them and when the for the first time they told me even uh, with holy people it is happening between them i was shocked and i 
I, I used to think that it is something forbidden. It is something really bad. And so I think it can be one of the reasons that finally uh, make me a Sixali. So I, I think it could be much better if they started little by little telling me about sexual things and in a healthy way. So, yeah, that's something that I uh, remember. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Hamid. Hi, Daniel. It's Francis. Can I jump in? Hey, Francis. Go ahead. Hi, Bernd. Uh, thank you for your share. Uh, it was really good. And uh, thank you for speaking about transparency and accountability. I've made a mental note of that because there's something you said there about how that gets rid of self-will. Because I've got a session tomorrow with my therapist. And the first thing he's going to ask me is, how do you get rid of your self-will? And I'm going to write down straight away in my head, accountability and transparency. That If I can do that and get it out of mind and then be accountable, because I'm a great at blaming everyone. I'm fantastic at pointing the finger and blaming everyone else. So thanks, Bern, for bringing it to my mind and making me more aware of it. It was really good to hear you. You keep your garbage in they, your they, they They used to have wooden floors in, in back in the days. Not wooden floors, excuse me, dirt floors. So the, the expression is you don't take the dirt out of your home, out of your hut where you live. Meaning this is our dirt and this is what this is what you're born with. This is yours. Own up to it. But don't talk about it. Don't take it out. That's, that's the expression. Thanks, Akiva. It looks like several people had, had a question about that. Luke, I see your hand up. I have a question for Berend. Um, Berend, did you, in the past eight years, did you do other programs or, or help outside of the 12-step program as in your path to recovery or in your path of recovery? Thank you. Um, no, as I said before, I was starting in uh, adult children. Then I came to SA, and um, I'm since how long? Around one year in SEA, but where we basically work with sponsors in the workbook, the 12 step, and this is really helpful. I understand the steps in a totally different way now. It's really helpful for me. Thank you, Berend. I'm sorry, which program did you say? ACA? RCA, Recovering Couples Anonymous. Uh-huh. Yeah, did you get that, Akiva, Recovering Couples Anonymous? Yes, thank you. Okay. Arash is raising his hand. Oh, go ahead, Arash. Hi, everyone. My name is Arash, sexaholic. I can finally introduce myself. My daughter was here and the door was open, so I didn't want to shout. And I'm sober since November 11. Thank you so much, uh, Bern. Um, uh, it felt really good to listen to your story. And uh, there are a lot of things I could uh, identify. Um, and uh, 
I'm 42 and I was always thinking, oh, it's so late for me. Why did I not start with this program earlier? <laughs> and and all these things. But, you know, I think one day being sober, even if it's the last day of my life, it's much better than um, <clears throat> die drunk. Um, yeah. So thank you so much. Um, uh, it felt really honest when to when I heard your story and your shared mm-hmm. experience. Uh, just one little short about myself, want to be current. I'm really grateful to be sober because when I'm sober, I feel um, more spiritual fit. My wife's grandfather passed away the night before yesterday, and, and she was very sad and touched because she lost her father when she was nine years old. So this man has a father role in her life, and they live in Hungary, so we could not go there because of covid And I felt um, I, I was so supportive yesterday. You know, I'm so proud of myself because being spiritual fit, uh, I'm sure if I would not be sober, you know, I would go in codependency. I would get discomfortable if she would cry. Why are you crying? You know, I told her, cry how much you want. What can I do? Be there. Thanks God I was off today and yesterday. And, It's so great, you know, when I'm spiritually fit, many bad things can happen, but I still can keep myself stable, not me, God. So I want to share about that. And that's that's the, that's the gift of recovery and being spiritually fit and so supportive. And really, I would say good. I would I was not like this before. Thank you, Daniel. I'm sorry. Thank you, Francis. I'm so sorry. Um, wish you all Merry Christmas and lovely I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Reprieve the best source for experience strength and hope for SA members please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes please show your support by donating to the Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.